So have you ever watched a television show that begins with the conclusion of the story and then it rewinds to an earlier part and sort of fills in what happened to get to that point? That's a, a literary technique called flash forward. Okay, flash forward. And a flash forward is that, that sort of device that says, here's what happens now. Let's figure out how they got to this point. And so today I want to use that device with the book of Habakkuk. So I'm going to break all the, the rules when you read a book because you don't jump to the end and read the end, right? It kind of ruins the story. I mean, maybe some of you like to do that. I don't know. But today we're going to do that. We're going to jump to the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, and we're going to read the end of the story and then we're going to rewind back and see how he got there. So listen to this from the author, from the uh, prophet Habakkuk. He says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. So Habakkuk's concluding statement is that this idea that my life, although it is a mess, it is a shambles. My yard is full of limbs and tree branches. I have no power. This is my translation, right? I'm going to be working through the next year to clear up all the debris. We still don't have, uh, there's down power lines as I'm driving in this morning. It's a mess. It's a complete mess. But Habakkuk says, I will rejoice and be joyful in the God who makes me strong and sure-footed. Who makes me strong and sure-footed. Now, how did he reach this point? Picture it. A black screen earlier, dot, dot, dot. Okay? And we jump backwards, and let's go back to Habakkuk 1. So page flips, I should hear those. Or if on your phone, I won't hear it. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry out to you, but you do not come to save must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has been paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice may become perverted. So this is going to feel a bit today like story time with Mike because I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture. Not very often do we just work our way through a bunch of texts, but we're going to do that today. And what we see right here in these first four verses with Habakkuk is he opens his writing complaining to God. And he's complaining about societal culture. He's complaining about violence and destruction. He's complaining about arguing and fighting. He's complaining about the ineffectiveness of law and the perversion of justice. Additionally, Israel has been overrun by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians at that time were the wickedest people on the planet. Wickedest people on the planet. And so he's fuming. He's fuming. Can you identify with his statements? Just, I mean, have you had that moment this week where you're like, hey, I'm asking for help. 
are you? I don't have power. My hands are freezing. I can't get the water I need. Where are you? Habakkuk is fuming. He pleads. He says, I keep asking for help. Why won't you listen? Why won't you hear me? He continues on, 5 through 11. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than uh, cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. The charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down and devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against the wall and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. Really quick on that, that piling earth, the way they would build siege ramps if there was a, a town that could sort of withstand an ice storm and not have power, but could be self-sufficient with heat and food and all that they needed inside the walls. They'd just lock themselves in and be good to go. What the Babylonians would do is they'd just start piling dirt up against that wall. Keep piling dirt up against until they could get up over that wall and end. And they'd sacrifice life to do it. To win that city. But what's most surprising in this passage, and what's most unnerving is that God answers and he says he's responsible for the Babylonians' rise to power. He's the one that's allowing them to be raised up. I don't like that kind of stuff. That's unnerving. That's uncomfortable. So I don't think Habakkuk did either. Habakkuk replies, Habakkuk 1, 12 through 17, O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people who are more righteous than them? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that, are, that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? When they, uh, will, uh, then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who made us rich, they will say. They will claim. <clears throat> will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? Now, one thing I want to be really clear about. This is where Habakkuk's situation is a little bit different than ours. He was punishing the Israelites for the way they were living. What we've gone through this week or what hardship you're going through, maybe that, but an ice storm is not God's punishment, okay? But it is God's opportunity. Just like this was an opportunity for Israel. 
But can you identify with some of his questions? Am I just a fish to be caught in a barrel? I mean, sometimes this stuff comes at us right in life, and we ask these questions. Am I just a plaything of God? See, we see Habakkuk is dismayed. His basic inquiry is surely you, God, don't plan to wipe us out, do you? Almost in answer, though, to his own question, he, realized, he realizes that if God sent the Babylonians, he must have done it for a good purpose. That's a guy who understands his God. This ice storm was here. God has a good purpose for it. I don't know why it came, but it was here, and it's been here for a reason. And the reason is that God has a good purpose in it. And Habakkuk just wants reassurance. He verifies, you won't let those who worship their own strength do it forever, right? You're going to ultimately come in and bring the rightness to this situation, right? You're going to bring resolve. Let's take note of what happens next. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will climb up in my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. In some respects, I think there's a real nobleness to this, but also I think there's a real like, I'm going to my room and I'm slamming the door and I'm waiting until God answers me. I'll show him. Right? I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of that both. There's that tension inside, that, that wrestling this out. Like, this is a circumstance that doesn't make sense and I don't understand it. How are you going to answer me? How will I see you in what's going on? So Habakkuk seeks a place of solitude and he quiets himself to wait for God's answer. Now, he does this physically, we don't always have that luxury. I think we'll, we'll get to the more practical later, but there's a real value sometimes in learning to find that within ourselves. To realize that we are connected to God who is spirit and that we can find a place of quiet and solitude where we are joined to him, one spirit within us, no matter what's going on out here. So Habakkuk 2, 2 through 20. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner, because they probably didn't have power, can carry the correct messages to others, the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. It seems slow in coming. Wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave and like death they are never satisfied. In their greed they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many people, peoples. But soon their, soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you, thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You become rich by extortion. But how much longer can this go on? 
Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all, of, take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You have committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly. You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger, including ice. But the murders you committed, you have, sh- uh, you, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls will cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of the nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk. You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon, it will be, uh, but soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink, and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment, and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forests of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals, so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who, uh, what sorrows, what sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the power, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Did you see it? God uses flash forward. He says, here's what's going to happen. You'll just have to wait to see how it's going to come to pass. He describes the downfall of Babylon and the deliverance of Israel. He's clear it will happen even if it's slow in the coming. Even if it's slow in the coming. It won't be delayed. His encouragement is to wait patiently, confident in the outcome. Habakkuk responds, praising God for who he is and what he's going to do. Habakkuk 3, 1 to 16. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens, and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. 
He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Kushan in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? That's a reference back to the, old, to the, the Israelites. Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow, your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. And those of us in the new covenant who have a relationship with Jesus, that's us as well. You crushed the heads of the wicked and you stripped their bones from head to toe. With his own weapon, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Have you had those moments with God where you're brought to your knees? As he says, my lips quivered. I trembled inside. My legs gave way beneath me. I shook in terror. Not a terror out of fear, but a terror out of respect and honor for the majesty and the glory and the honor of who God is. But see, what, what Habakkuk is praising and worshiping is something that hasn't come to pass yet. His circumstances haven't changed. He is still being taken over by Babylon. He's still in a mess. It's still not great circumstances. And he concludes his book in this way, and we saw it at the beginning. Even though the fig tree has no blossoms... And there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. That's quite a response, being that he has a future vision, but who knows when that's going to come about. He has no idea when that's going to come about. But he states emphatically that although he's in the worst possible situation that someone could be in, the worst possible of life situations, he will, as it adds in the amplified version of Scripture, he will choose to rejoice and be joyful. He will choose to rejoice and be joyful. Now let's be careful here, okay? He's not putting on a plastic smile. He's not acting like everything's okay. Oh, praise the Lord, my power's out. My roof's been busted in by a tree limb and I haven't had any food for a week, but praise the Lord. 
That is not what Habakkuk is doing. Notice what he's rejoicing and finding joy in. It's not in the state of affairs or circumstances. It's not what's going on out here. And far too often, that's right where we look. My bank account's good. My, my house is good. My power's on. I have a gen- whatever it is. Whatever it is. Because it can be anything not this storm. Then I'm good. That's not the case here. He had nothing out here to be happy about. What he found joy and rejoiced in is God and who God is to Habakkuk and who God is to Habakkuk in the midst of the darkest of times. It's the relationship that he had and shared with God. That's what he finds joy in. That's what he rejoices in. Because all this other stuff can be gone just like that, right? Hey, I was laying in bed on Saturday night when no power. So why I also encouraged you in our email last week that it is such a gift and a blessing for us to get together and meet. But there are times that that's just not possible. And so we have to realize that even though we aren't physically together, we're still connected as the church spiritually. And as much as we can have the benefit of this, we should take advantage of it. Because who knows when those times that we can't even if it's just a simple weather outage that keeps it from happening. So his rejoicing, his finding joy was in God and who God was to him in the midst of a dark time. And it's his relationship that he shares with God. This is further seen in that Habakkuk doesn't ask for strength. He doesn't say, hey God, give me some strength here. Power me up. What does he say? You guys should be a little attuned to this if you were here through Christmas. He says that God is what? God is his strength. We spent a whole series in December and Christmas Eve on Jesus is this. Jesus is all things. Right here we see he's also strength. He's joy. He's life. He's peace. He's king. He's shepherd. He's strength. This is a stark contrast to the Babylonians. Why? Because the Babylonians trusted in their own self-generated strength. Which is like a generator. At some point it's going to run out of gas. Or the servicing that it had didn't work. And Only when we're connected back into the true line that never stops feeding power will we really be where we're supposed to be. So finally, Habakkuk declares, his footing is made solid by God like a deer able to walk in high places. Now, I'm an American. I have never seen a deer walking in high places. So, you know, I did the first thing that to try to figure out what a deer walking in high places looked like. did the first really spiritual thing I could think of, and I went to Google. Deer in high places. Okay? 
And you know what returned? Not pictures of deer in high places, but some photos I want to share with you. (laughs) Mountain sheep. Now, I grew up in Colorado. I know mountain sheep very well. I've seen these dudes scale things that are insane. We'll go to the next one. Look at this. He doesn't look worried, does he? I'd be, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm just going to grab a snack here. Look at this next one. Look at that footing. Look at that footing. I mean, seriously? Next one. Oh, hey, what's going on? How you doing? Just hanging out here up in the high places. You hanging out too? I mean, this is such a word picture. Steady footing in the midst of perilous conditions. They aren't worried about falling, but climbing in perfect confidence. Look at this last one. That's the walk of faith. Treading on things that don't make any sense, that are so small, but they don't freak out because their footing is solid and confident. It doesn't mean that we don't don't have emotional turmoil in all of this, but we have to find something deeper. We have to find a footing that's deeper, a spiritual footing that rests and settles. This is a picture, right? I'm going to say it again. Look at this picture. Steady footing in the midst of perilous conditions. They aren't worried about falling, but climb with perfect confidence. This is what it means. Walk with me. But, Jesus, walk with me. Walk with me. So imagine being in Habakkuk's story. Place yourself in it. And I don't think it's too hard. Obviously, we don't have foreign invaders, but we had weather that invaded. And it uprooted all of the normality of life, did it not? It messed everything up. Oh, for a shower, oh, for the internet, oh, for lights, for heat. I, I can't tell you how good the few warm meals we were able to cook, cook tasted. They were so good. So good. I think we can relate to being in an upended and devastating experience like Habakkuk. And I think we can definitely learn a few things from what Habakkuk recorded that will help us through our crisis. First, you know what Habakkuk had? He had consistent, open, honest conversation with God. We too would greatly benefit by regular dialogue with God. Sharing everything with him as Habakkuk did. Complaints, questions, answers. Go read the Psalms that David have written. When you read what David writes, he starts, a lot of times he's like, one of my favorites, God, would you run over my enemies' heads? Just do it. And he would always grind out all the junk and just dump, dump, dump. Because then he was able to get to, but God. Why? Because sometimes with the dumping, what we do is if we don't unload on God all this stuff, we're carrying it and we're trying to be God for ourselves. And God's a God of exchange. If you hold on to your element, he's not going to trade you. 
when you finally go, here's all the stuff, Ugh. the ice and the power and the food and my family, and the <sighs> okay, now he has that. Now what, what are my hands? They're open to re- receive him. Go, here, son, here, daughter. Here's what I have for you. Here's how I want to meet you in this hardship, in this difficulty. So we can greatly benefit from regular dialogue with him, sharing everything. There's not anything you're going to tell him he doesn't already know. (gasps) I didn't know that. Wow, you got me on that one. Surprise. I mean, Matthew 7, 7 tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Share, share, seek, look. God, you're involved. We'll also benefit, we'd also benefit like Habakkuk from seeking opportunities for solitude and quiet and time for just us and God. Now the reality of that is in the middle of tragedy and crisis like we've been, that isn't, I'm gonna go get my quiet time over here. It's learning and a practice of realizing that quiet and solitude exists inside of you where you are joined to the Lord, one spirit with him. And that although everything out here may be completely chaotic, you can find a place of quiet and solitude inside of you in the midst of what's going on and be able to say, Father, I can't, I can't take one more step. I can't take one more pivot. I can't take one more adjustment. I can't take one more. Oh, here you go. Nope, sorry. I can't take it. And he'll say, I know, son. I know, daughter. We'll get through it together. We'll get through it together. Also, as Habakkuk learned, it would be helpful for us to remember that even if God allows difficulty in our lives, it's for a good purpose. And this is what we talked about two weeks ago in Romans 8, 28, 8, 29. And we know that God, that God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God allows, even an ice storm can be used to be a benefit to us, to form us into the image of Jesus. The pressure, do you know how coal, you know how diamonds are made? Through pressurizing coal. The pressure that happens forms us. It prepares us. It causes us to go. There's another, script, there's another verse in Scripture that talks about the tree planted by the river. When the drought comes, it will survive. Why? Because its roots will go into the water of the river to draw life. These kind of pressure crisis circumstances push so that we go deep. And you know what else about these difficulties we're facing? They're a part of the work that God started in us already and the work that he plans on finishing. Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't waste a thing. He doesn't waste one thing. Whether it's illness, sickness, storms, good times, 
happy times, game times with no lights by candlelight, uh, fun conversations, freezing together, whatever it may be. He doesn't waste any of it. The final thing we can learn from from Habakkuk is that being even in the worst case scenarios of life, sorry, knowing that even the worst case scenarios of life are for our benefit should help us to not be distracted by them. If we know that whatever goes on out here, good or bad, is for our benefit, it shouldn't distract us. But instead, we should have the opportunity to then choose to rejoice and to find joy, not in what's going on out here per se, but in the truest thing we have, which is our relationship with God. Was that ever brought to your mind during this time? They may take my power, they may take my water, they may take my food or nature, whatever. It just may, everything may be taken, but you know what I have and God can't be taken? I can lose every tree on my property, but I won't lose God. All my food in my fridge can rot, but I won't lose God. Second, Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be aware of what's going on down here. The old phrase, which is a total lie, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's a lie. The only way you can be any earthly good is what I'm trying to tell you this morning, is if you're first heavenly minded. Because if you try to go through things like we've been through this last week without heavenly mindedness, you're gonna fall apart. It may not be now, it may not be next week. It might be in a month. And you might just finally, it might all unravel. You might be like, oh, oh, I've been going. So as we continue to work our way through this crisis, I would encourage you, don't waste the crisis. Don't waste this. But use it as a start. Begin by having conversation with God about how you might be able to have a freer dialogue with him. Maybe it's been uncomfortable. Maybe you've always thought your approach to God had to be, oh, holy Father, thou art I must be very performance in my prayer to you and I must never say any complaint or share any difficulty. You are so good and wise. Stop. God, I'm just really sick and tired of all this and I can't take one more thing. What do you want to do with that? And he'd be like, thanks. Thanks for finally being honest because I already knew that was all there anyway. That's good for you, for you to know that you can share it with me. So how can you have a freer dialogue with him? How might you find time also where you can have those times for just the two of you not, and help develop and grow the awareness of the inner solitude that exists? How might you learn to receive also the difficulties that you have as benefits rather than fighting against them. See, when this stuff comes at us, our immediate reaction is, ugh, fight back, rather than open-handed, okay, Lord, you have something in this for me. How might, we, how might we learn to rejoice and find joy, not in our circumstances, but in God himself? My hope is for you, my hope for you, church, as I've prayed for you, is that through this hardship, 
you will find, just as Habakkuk did, that God is your strength. That you will experience the solid footing he gives you, even in the midst of precarious and uncomfortable and not fun circumstances. couple more verses to encourage you. God is my strength, Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. Solid footing, Psalm 42. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps Secure. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much that Habakkuk's conversation was recorded. That we may learn from it. We may learn from his honesty. That his honesty is something that we can relate to, that we can identify with. Father, we may be having these same conversations as he did just this week. I pray that each of us may grow in our relationship with you and in our conversation with you as Habakkuk did so that we may be able to get to a point where we can rejoice and be joyful, not in what's going on around us per se, but in you who is our strength and our sure footing. We trust this to you today, in Jesus' name, amen.